wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Come on in, right this way. Have a seat if you like, though maybe you'd rather stand after that long drive over here. Well, welcome to the farm. You can relax for a few minutes and then I'll show you around. I guess you may have been surprised by the size of the place when you drove up. I know that I was insisting that I'm not a farmer, so maybe you expected something smaller, but the full facilities do cover quite a large area. Still though, I do much prefer to think of myself as a breeder rather than a farmer. I don't just raise pigs. I create unique animals, each with its own size, color, uses, tenderness, flavor profile, percentage of body fat. You're not going to find the meat from my pigs in some market square or on a grocery store shelf. I provide a very specialized service and cater only to the small clientele who are willing to pay my prices. And I'll tell you from the testimonials, they always find that price well worth it. Though, <laughs> that all sounds a bit dispassionate and business-minded when I listen to myself. This isn't supposed to be a sales pitch, no. Please, don't mistake me as being blasé. This work really is my passion. As are the pigs. I've just spent nearly 20 years doing this now, half my life. And I'm defensive about the niche I've carved out for myself. I'm not a farmer. I haven't spent all these years farming, I don't know how to properly farm. But on the same hand, farmers don't know how to create pigs like mine. What does a farmer think about when raising pigs? I need to feed the pigs, make sure they have water, make sure if the particular farmer is so inclined that the pigs have adequate space to move and open air, and I must pay particular attention to my sows to make sure I always have more pigs. These are the basics, and there's not much more to it than this for the farmer. I pay special attention to these things as well, of course. Mind you, on a much more granular scale. But I also go beyond that. Far beyond that. This may sound a bit... strange. But I believe, I truly believe, that psychology is just as important when it comes to raising a great pig as anything dietary or physiological or what have you. You don't look so sure, I... Well, let me put it more like this. A healthy mind makes for a healthy pig, which makes for a delicious pig. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? You could concede that. When you slaughter an animal, you do so quickly, and humanely, and painlessly, so you don't spoil the meat. You don't want the animal to release adrenaline because it will break down the glycogen in the muscle. Glycogen, which converts into lactic acid after slaughtering, which is what you want. For tender muscle, with good 
flavor and good mouthfeel. Working backwards from that concept, I strive to give my pigs as stress-free a life as possible, a high quality of life which I believe requires soothing and even stimulating the mind. I talk to the pigs every morning, not with them, of course, just to them, just to say hello, good morning, my dears. I play music for them, I have the pens and open areas painted with pleasing artwork, and I read to them. They love that, more than anything else, really. It doesn't even matter what I read, fiction, history, culture, geography. I could read a book on mathematical theory and the pigs would just sit there, smiling, soaking up every little bit. I think so, at least. Those pigs do love me. I always have a small ache in my heart when it's time to slaughter them. Nothing that's ever stopped me, but not insignificant. They never see it coming, of course. It's just a few of the pigs being taken out for a walk with me. Though, the others might wonder where their family and friends have gone when they don't come back. They must wonder. No, they never see it coming. It all sounds unorthodox, I'm sure. But I've had success so far. Success. Yes, though not necessarily satisfaction. I don't sell my best pigs. The ones that I know will taste the very best. Ever. I may, one day, but not now. Not when I still haven't gotten it quite right. I'm a bit of a perfectionist, you know. I just hate showing people my work before it's ready. I should clarify. I said best pigs. That is not to degrade or diminish my other pigs, each of which is perfectly tailored for its intended market and buyer. But there's a new breed I've been working on for some time. A long time, and I am sure, quite sure, that when I get it just right, it will be a truly special animal. Something quite unlike anything most people have ever tasted. But progress has been slow going. There's a quality to the meat that I'm simply missing. I know what it is, and I think I know how to achieve it, but it takes time. Or maybe... Perhaps you're thinking right now, well, how does he know what this perfect pork tastes like if he's never actually tasted it before? Well, I have. Once. A very long time ago, half a lifetime. But I still remember the taste, the flavor, in such vivid detail. It was a simple dish, no sauces, no garish, overpowering seasoning, just a beautiful piece of meat cooked to perfection. I did a lot of traveling when I was a younger man. I was a bit directionless, you see. I'd been left quite a bit of money from my grandparents, and was due to receive quite a bit more from my own parents. And as such, and for various other reasons, I was lacking in work ethic and drive. So in my early twenties, I traveled, trying to fill that void of dissatisfaction and malaise. I went to Europe first, though quickly tired of it. Europe was always boring to me, just more of what I'd always known with a continental twist. So it wasn't long before I moved on to Central Asia, then South Asia and the Pacific, and then to South America. Ah. South America was brilliant, from what I can remember of it. So many things to try that you can't eat anywhere else in the world, fruits and vegetables from the jungle that would spoil over a long journey, nuts and seeds of all kinds and meats. Oh, yes. 
many different meats. There's a bit of a haze, though, when I think back on that part of my trip. Europe had been a place where I drank, and Asia a place where I experimented. But by the time I'd come to the heart of Brazil, I'd gone into the deep end, zapping my brain with some new kind of cattle prod every day. What I do remember is waking up on a boat one day, drifting down a river in the Amazon, drenched in cold sweat, and feeling every one of those jolts in the center of my forehead. The men on the boat told me that I'd been non-verbal for days, occasionally falling in and out of a lucid state, but otherwise catatonic. I didn't recognize the men, but that didn't concern me. For the entire latter half of the trip, I'd been hiring chaperones, guides to show me around the regions, the kind of people who wouldn't think twice about my indulgent requests, and who would make sure that I wasn't being swindled. Or at least so that I knew who I was being swindled by. I assumed the men on the boat were such, that I'd hired in some forgotten stupor. There were two of them, in addition to a third man who seemed to be the owner and skipper of the boat we were on. They were both lean and tall, with dark hair and dark skin. I couldn't tell exactly where they were from, either by appearance or by voice. They didn't have the look of pardo Brazilians, or of African descent, or of any of the indigenous people I'd met up to that point. In my haze, I had no recollection of where I could have hired them or where we'd even set sail from. I asked where we were going. The young man was hungry, said one of the men in clear English. Clear, but again with an unquestionable, though unidentifiable accent. So we are taking the young man to the feast. To this day, I still don't know where it was that they took me. It could have been anywhere in the rainforest, that crush of green. To the feast. It made sense. I didn't know what I'd actually told them, but that all made sense. Food had been the only thing I'd ever really cared about, been passionate about. I'm not sure why, but I'd just always had a keen interest in flavors and cooking styles, and above all, trying new things. Seeking new gastronomic experiences had been the only constant of that entire journey, whether sober or not. So now I was being taken to a feast. And it was a feast. Fruits of every color of the rainbow laid out, some raw, some grilled or roasted, nuts, seeds and eggs, hundreds of fish, and birds of all sizes. Men and women who looked and sounded like the men who had brought me there were in attendance, eating and laughing and seeing to the cooking fires. I was welcomed with open arms and wide smiles. I barely had time to sit before I was plied with everything they had to offer. No one thing went untried. Hours passed, and as the sun began to set, I wandered away from the larger group, trying in vain to uh, walk off my gluttony. And as I was walking, I was suddenly struck by the most unbelievable smell. The unmistakable smell of roasting meat. Now, I was stuffed to the gills. You could imagine food falling out of my mouth if I even opened it. The smell of even more should have made me sick. And yet, I couldn't help but be drawn toward it. It carried me away from the feast, to the far end of this tiny riverside settlement. And before long, I came upon them. It was a roast indeed, and a small group preparing to eat. A family, it seemed, and a gathering far more quiet and somber than the one just a few hundred feet away. I could see the meat there in the fire, cooking while wrapped in big 
palm-like leaves. I'd seen something like this a number of times. And then I noticed those people staring at me, sad and confused looks on their dour faces. I didn't understand those looks at the time, and I didn't care. All I could think about was that incredible smell, and I wasn't going to wait for an invitation. But as I motioned towards the fire, and as the family's looks turned to shock protests, I felt a strong hand grab me by the shoulder. I turned, and it was one of my guides. The man, who had been all smiles and laughs at the feast, now had a grave look on his face as well. That is not for you, he said. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. There I was, a guest, and I was being denied what I wanted. I didn't know how much I'd paid the man, but I'm sure it was enough to feed that small village for half a year. He must have seen the flash of anger in my face, because his tone then changed from commanding to reasoning. Please, sir, there is much more to eat at the feast. Come back. Leave them be. I looked back at the family. Now that I paid more attention, I saw that there was really only one adult, a mother, and children who might have ranged from three to fifteen. The mother looked concerned, with anger hidden behind her eyes. The eldest child, a boy, didn't hide his at all. I looked back at my host, who was gesturing insistently, thought of where I was and that I was alone, and returned back to the feast. Until late evening, that is. No, once everyone had fallen asleep, I returned. Because when I want something, I make sure I get it. Luckily enough, there was still something left. A single, long, thin slice of meat, hanging over the smoke. It was a large piece, light-colored. It looked like a big slice of flank, or thigh. Looking at it, I was a bit disappointed. This is it, I thought. After all those colors and aromas and flavors I'd been offered, and after all that fuss earlier... It wasn't a particularly interesting-looking piece of food, lean and kind of pale. The skin had been taken off, so there was no crackling or bark. But still, there was that entrancing smell, faded now, but still there. Not quite a delicious smell, you would say, but still potent and enticing. So having already resolved to eat it, I disregarded appearances and took a bite. And I was transported. I... It's difficult for me to fully describe the experience to you. I've talked about taste and texture, but it really transcended that. There was something mystical about it. As though power and spirit entered my body and filled me up. My head began to spin. Whether it was heat exhaustion from sitting in the sun all day, or bloat and melatonin, or some trailing remainder of some drug, I felt all that power rush out of me at once and felt my eyes grow heavy, until everything was black. And when I woke up, I was on the boat again, this time alone with the skipper, far away from where I'd been. The boatman, seeing that I'd woken up, turned to me with a familiar grave look. It wasn't right for you to eat that, he said nervously, and ignoring any sense of shame that these people seemed to keep trying to project onto me, my response was simply, what did I eat? He motioned to answer, then stopped, then muttered something while looking away from me. Pig, he said. And with that, I drifted back off under the blazing sun. From that point on, 
there was a change in me. I became wholly obsessed with recreating that experience. First, I tried to find out where I'd been and how to go back. I tried to ask the skipper when he dropped me off, but he refused more money and that was the last I saw of him. I asked locals along every stretch of every river, but nobody knew where I was speaking of. Maps were useless without any point of reference. I knew that I could spend a lifetime trying to find that place again, and still never succeed. It quickly became clear to me that I would never visit there again. So instead of eating the genuine thing, it fell upon me to recreate the dish. I trawled through recipes, those written and those passed along orally, researched and researched, consulted internationally renowned chefs. Eventually, I had something that had the appearance of what I'd eaten, the taste. E even the smell was, well, not close, but not distant. But it wasn't the same. Nothing came close to giving me that same feeling. And I decided that it must have been the pig itself, the kind of pig that was the truly important thing. So I began researching breeding and historical lines of pig species. It wasn't easy, you know. There's not a lot of breeding information about pigs in that part of the world, barely any on the domesticated ones, and certainly not any at all on the invasive wild ones. It was never an animal that was native to the Americas, especially that deep in the rainforest. In any case, that was the beginning of all this. My rededication of purpose in life eventually became my business and trade as well, out of necessity. I may have been well off, but I didn't have an unlimited amount of money to throw at this venture. And clearly I had to do something with these pigs. All these failed attempts. I don't like pigs very much. No, not very much at all. <laughs> that must seem absurd to you. And yes, I said that I feel an ache in my heart when it's time to slaughter the animals. But why wouldn't I? I'm not some kind of sociopath. But while they're alive, before you put them on a plate, they can truly be foul, irritating beasts. Most of all, when they don't taste the way you want them to. Ten years, I waited patiently, waiting for the fruits of my research, my obsessive breeding, but nothing, not a step closer. And by that time, I was finally willing to admit it to myself. I know what it is that I ate that night. It's not even worth saying aloud. I realized it, and I knew that I couldn't very well go down that path. That would be utterly depraved. But... In admitting it to myself, there was liberation, and a new path was now open to me. The flesh of the pig, it's very similar, the most similar. So I then set out to make it even more so. Keeping most of my pigs the same, of course, I had to run a business here, but setting out to make those few pigs I focused on something more, something special. A lot of the early work was physiological, isolating the pigs who had potential for skeletal and spinal adjustment. That was the most grueling part. There were many failures before the line fully took to the reconfigurations and started expressing them with greater frequency. Then came the muscular work and getting the fat ratios right. The organs were actually the easiest. There's already so much compatibility there. But physiology alone isn't enough. I believe that psychology is just as important. So I talk to them, though maybe one day soon I'll talk with them. I play music for them, expose them to pleasing artwork, 
and I read to them, to teach them. They love that most of all. Still, though, it will probably be some time until they're ready. Unless... It might be crazy, but I believe that I can expedite this evolution if I could instill some kind of drive in them, some kind of desire, something like what I have. If they could just have the same formative experience that I had that night, a culinary experience that transcends the senses and speaks to the soul, then they too might want something more out of the world. Then they'd have a calling and a purpose of their own. They'd become more like me, which is to say, more like us. No, I can't go ahead and feed my pigs other pigs. That would be abominable. But maybe feeding them something close to it would do the trick. I have something to show you. Georgie, Georgie, you can come in now. <coughs> There you are. Good boy. Look at that. Look at how he can stand up straight on his own. It's wonderful. Georgie, you get to have a special treat today. Are you excited? You look very nervous over there. Please do try to calm down. I don't want Georgie's first experience to be with spoiled meat. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. This week's episode, A Long Slice of Ham, was written by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Ilana Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. Tune in next Sunday for our latest episode, Snip or Treat. Until next time, thank you for listening.